The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are tuning in from remote locations around the world. Thank you for being with us again. My guest today is former NSA official, flight test engineer, and author, Mr. William Scott. He'll be joining us in just a moment to talk about something that you don't hear a lot about in the mainstream media, pyroterrorism, the threat of arson by terrorists to our nation's parks and wildlands. But before Mr. Scott joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. William Scott is a graduate of California State University, as well as the United States Air Force Test Pilot School. During his career in the Air Force, he served on classified airborne sampling missions, where he collected nuclear debris by flying through radioactive clouds. He was an electronics officer with the NSA, where he developed space communications and security systems for satellites, and he was an instrumentation and flight test engineer. He has also served as a civilian flight test pilot and manager for General Dynamics, Falcon Jet, and Tracor. Most recently, Scott retired as Bureau Chief for Aviation and Space Technology Magazine, where he was the recipient of numerous editorial awards. And while not in the air or overseeing the magazine, Scott has managed to author several best-selling books, including Space Wars and Counterspace, two fictional accounts of the events leading up to and following the start of World War III. Earlier this year, he released his newest novel titled The Permit, a story largely based on the death of his son. And we're going to go hear a little bit more about that later in the program. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report one of our nation's most knowledgeable experts on terrorism, above and on the ground, Mr. William Scott. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Scott. Thank you very much, Rebecca, and I go by Bill, so we can... uh... You know, only Grandma and the IRS call me William, so please call me Bill. <laughs> well, in that case, I'll take you up on it. All right, I wouldn't you. want to call you by the same name the IRS does. Uh, have me, Rebecca. Uh, well, you, well, thank you for being with us. Now, now I know that uh, pyroterrorism is something that uh, is going to be new to uh, many of our listeners today. So uh, for those of us who aren't familiar with it, what does it mean and, and why do we need to be concerned? Well, Rebecca, it's uh, very simply just bad guys, terrorists of all stripes, really, starting fires in, uh, you know, national forests, as you said, grasslands, wildlands of any sort. But uh, of most concern is when they are started in in forests that contain an awful lot of houses, and that's that's the norm nowadays, what we call the wildland-urban interface. So anytime you have um, arsons, who are specifically targeting um, America, trying to strike economic damage or economic, excuse me, wage economic warfare, as well as, you know, go for high body counts, but, you know, just just ravage the economy. Fire is uh, an extremely high leverage weapon of mass effect, and it's very easy to do. So that's why we call, you know, in, in some ways you could say that we are already engaged in fire wars. When you say economic leverage, explain that to us a little bit better. Sure. Uh, For the price of a few matches or what uh, Inspire Magazine, which is a jihadist online uh, magazine, they tell the loyal followers, the jihadists, how to start what they call ember bombs. And these are just timed uh, explosive fire starters, if you will, and they can put them in the forest, they can leave, they go off at a certain time, but they cost almost nothing. 
to develop, deploy, and and yet their effect can be devastating. Uh, you know, we've had two fires here near Colorado Springs in one year. That's wiped out over 800 homes, killed four people, and you know, just one of those fires, the Waldo Canyon fire last year, cost 15 million dollars just to get it under control. We don't know if either of those fires. Uh, were linked to terrorism. We do know that they were both, quote, man-caused, but uh, law enforcement officials have not released their findings yet, And uh, but they have said that they are of suspicious origin. So, you know, we, we have to be careful that not all of these fires necessarily are caused by uh, al-Qaeda terrorists, but we do know that the, the intent is there, and, and we can go through some of those indicators in a few minutes if you like well we'll do that i think the point that really uh i think startled me was the fact that when you think about the economic damage that you can do to the united states a penny match can lead to 15 billion dollars of damage i mean that's what we're talking about right that's exactly right and when you you couple that with the state of our forest particularly here in the west you know california colorado Arizona, New Mexico, the, the whole Rocky Mountain region, uh, we are in a severe drought and have been for some time. In addition, here in Colorado, for instance, we have over 4 million acres of dead trees. They're caused by a, a pine beetle that has killed the trees. They're standing dead trees for the most part. And you couple that with, with drought, you couple that with specific conditions on certain days, like we had during the Waldo Canyon fire a year ago and the Black Forest fire this year, both of them on you know opposite sides of Colorado Springs. We had high temperatures in the 100 degrees, which is unusual for us. You couple that with single-digit humidities, which we have had here, and wind. And all it takes is one match, and away it goes. So I, I look at this in terms of four variables, if you will. Uh, one, the access to the weapon. A lot easier to get a match than it is a nuclear bomb, right? So uh, anybody can uh, become a terrorist if matches are all that you need. It's inexpensive. That's the second thing. The third is it's unprotected targets. Nobody's watching over our uh, wildlands as a potential terrorist target uh, that I, I know of. And then the fourth thing is that there's a high probability of success because when you think about it, uh, the environment is, is uh, playing into this this um, this strategy, if you will. That's exactly right. And back to intent, we, we know there's an intent to do this. When the Navy SEALs killed Osama bin Laden in 2011, they literally captured a treasure trove of material that provided unprecedented insight into al-Qaeda plans. And one of those plans was a detailed campaign for starting fires throughout the West. And then you know, on May 2nd of 2012, ABC News ran a story entitled, quote, Al-Qaeda magazine calls for firebomb campaign in U.S., unquote. And, and that report referred to that issue of Inspire magazine I mentioned that surfaced on Al-Qaeda websites that were, were literally calling for jihadists in Europe primarily and the U.S. to start huge fires with those timed explosives, and they included detailed instructions for constructing these remote-controlled uh, ember bombs. And then at the end of May 2012, Department of Homeland Security came out with an unclassified official use only document entitled Terrorist Interest in Using Fire as a Weapon. And they laid out in very detailed fashion here for the first responders around the nation that that the intent was there. International terrorist groups and extremists had shown a lot of interest in using fire as a weapon for exactly the reasons you said, uh, Rebecca. They're low cost, takes almost no technical expertise. You don't have to take people to Pakistan to train them how to do this. And it has high leverage, a lot of potential for causing large-scale damage. And then the, the last thing is very low risk of apprehension. That's right. We have uh, unprotected targets uh, that, uh, because of environmental changes, are cooperating with the likelihood that the uh, 
the perpetrator would be successful. Uh, now, we're going to have to take a break here in just a moment, uh, and, and you have started to talk a little bit about the, the actual documented evidence, and I want to get to that in the next segment because this isn't something that's been made up or is imagined. We now have actual plans uh, from the al-Qaeda camp that indicate that this is a planned form of terrorism attack on the United States. So let's go to our commercial break, and when we come back, let's find out who the forest jihad are. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data, and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile, and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM Big Data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Sellers. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So I've got a question for you. What's the first impression a person has when they walk into the Caraccioli tasting room? You know, it's initially always the decor, and then it's one of those things where you sit down and you realize the wine's good, too. So it becomes a complete experience. You get to experience not only the uh, great surroundings and the warm environment, but also some great wines for your palate. It's one of my favorite places to go in downtown Carmel, and I hope everyone listening to us today will take a moment to stop in because I think that they would really enjoy the experience that you've created. Well, thank you, and please do. We'd love to have you. We're open seven days a week. It's right on Dolores between Ocean and 7th and Carmel. Thank you for being with us again, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Join us at Severino's Bar and Grill for a Thanksgiving to remember. Serving the finest fresh food to make your Thanksgiving complete. This tantalizing buffet starts at 11.30 and goes till 5.30 p.m. It features juicy hand-carved turkey, honey-glazed ham, Angus tri-tip, succulent leg of lamb, award-winning clam chowder, desserts, and much more. This delectable feast is only $32 for adults, $16 for children 10 and under, and children under the age of 4 eat free. So book now. Call 831-688-8998. Here's an important message from MZ. As you know, we at KSCO KOMY have the most intelligent audience in all of radio. By design, because we do not allow stupid people to listen to either station. It is our goal to not only have the most intelligent audience in radio, but the healthiest audience as well. That is why we strongly promote 90 for Life Longevity Health products, the Healthy Body Start Pack, and Beyond Tangy Tangerine in particular. These products are available during business hours at KSCO Studios at 2300 Portola Drive, Santa Cruz, frequently in conjunction with valuable promotions such as Kay's Book, KSCO Hats, Tote Bags, and Bumper Stickers. Now, because we want to make it easier than ever for members of our audience to become and stay healthy, we're looking for 12 retail businesses within our KSCO coverage area to partner with us in our Optimal Health Quest promotion. If you own a business or know someone who owns a business and would like to participate in KSCO's Get Everyone Healthy program, and thereby receive advertising incentives and start to build a powerful revenue stream, send an email to me, mz at ksco.com, with the words health promotion in the subject line. Tell me about your business, and I will personally get back to you ASAP. Welcome back to the Costa Report. 
I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former NSA official Mr. William Scott. And before the break, we were talking about a new danger to our nation's security, pyroterrorism. So let me ask you about the forest jihad. What do we know about them? Well, that's not a group, Rebecca. That's uh, that Al-Qaeda is the overarching terrorist group, of course, but there's splinter groups everywhere, and they like to call uh, homegrown or, you know, jihadists here in this country, just the loyal followers. Uh, Scott Stewart, who's the VP of analysis for Stratfor, it's mm-hmm. a security outfit, private security, <clears throat> he has written something that he refers to these people as Kramer jihadists. And he, he said they're basically self-starters. They're grassroots jihadists. You know, they, they feel a loyalty to al-Qaeda or the uh, Islamist game plan. And he, he said they are ideal for lighting fires, uh, the ideal people to do it because they live in the United States, they live in Europe, Australia, South America, which are the primary targets of al-Qaeda, uh, as defined by that material that was was captured during the sealed raid against bin Laden. So Scott Stewart in particular made quite a good case that said um, th- these jihadists, whether they are homegrown or whether they're imports, uh, should be considered extremely dangerous. And he said, quote, fire is an underappreciated threat. People simply do not realize how deadly a weapon it can be, even though starting fires does not require sophisticated terrorist tradecraft. So they can be the guy next door, or they can be somebody that slipped across the border for the sole purpose of uh, creating havoc within our borders. Well, I believe that's the attraction, isn't it? It, it takes a, a child can light a match, and, and so it, it doesn't, as you point out, it doesn't require any training, and it doesn't require any financial investment, uh, and yet it, it packs a big punch. So are we talking about independent rogue agents, or are we talking about groups and factions? I think it's all the above, Rebecca. Um, I think the Inspire magazine was uh, articles were targeting lone wolf self-starter types, those who um, have an affiliation for the the jihadist narrative, if you will. <clears throat> and and you say, well, where's your evidence there? And and it's tough. It's tough to come by, uh, even in that. Department of Homeland Security document that I mentioned earlier that went out on the 31st of uh, May a year ago, 2012, they made a point of saying that there was no solid evidence of wildfires being started by al-Qaeda operatives in the U.S. However, there's some of my sources within uh, CAL FIRE. You know, it's, it's your California State Department of Forestry and Fire out there. Uh, they confirmed that some California fires in 2011 were linked to terrorism. And then the other data was in early 2012, Russia's security chief, Alexander Bortnikov, warned publicly, quote, Al-Qaeda was complicit in recent forest fires in Europe as part of the terrorist strategy of waging economic warfare by what he called a thousand cuts. And then then we fall back into circumstantial. And uh, rather than say, well, it can't happen, uh, you know, I'm an advocate of let's see if we can pull some of these dots together and see where they're headed. Well, there were some interesting dots a year ago here in Colorado. Over about a three-week period, <clears throat> there were 25 fires that were started within a few miles of each other in El Paso and Teller counties. And that's if you just go from Colorado Springs up the Ute Pass into the mountains, that's where these fires were started. They started up above. They started working their way down through the pass. 25 fires all of them fairly close together, all of them designated as arson. Every single one of them was caught by fire crews, and they put them out. They didn't cause much damage. But the arsonist was never thought, never caught, excuse me. And then on June 23rd, last So they never found the perpetrator, but they saw this long trail of arson fires that were uh, geographically clearly established a pattern. Yep. If you map those, they're marching mm-hmm. right down through the pass towards Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And then on June 23rd, the Waldo Canyon fire erupted on the west side of Colorado Springs. And it was fueled, well, excuse me, and then three days later, it exploded, literally exploded. 100-degree temperatures, 2% humidities, 
driven by 55 to 65 mile per hour winds when a dry thunderstorm collapsed, created an outflow of wind, and it literally blew the fire downhill. Mm-hmm. And experienced firefighters said they had never seen that, but it happened. So in the span of minutes, those flames jumped two of the fire breaks that had been cut raced downhill into the Mountain Shadows neighborhood, and if it hadn't been for some extremely dedicated, brave firefighters battling what they call the firestorm from hell, we would have had far more than the 345 homes that were destroyed, and it it killed two people, but we could have had far more fatalities. Now, do we have any other physical evidence that other organizations outside of Al-Qaeda might also be adopting these pyroterrorism tactics? I would say anecdotal evidence only. Mm-hmm. As, as an old reporter myself, yes, you don't really go on that if you're if you're stating fact, right? Mm-hmm. But again, the old flight test engineer part of me says if you have a lot of data, you better pay attention to where it's going and see if you can head it off so you don't have an accident, right? So that's that's my only purpose in raising this issue is to say, folks, there's an awful lot of intent out there. We've seen some isolated incidents that, you know, uh, the investigators may know more about it than we do. Maybe they're still working on catching the bad guys, but they have not said these fires, certain fires were started by al-Qaeda terrorists or something like the Environmental Liberation Front or who knows. There's any number of of uh, what you might call terrorist organizations. The bottom line is if it's arson, it causes death, it causes massive destruction, that's terrorism. I couldn't agree with you more. I guess I, part of me questions whether in the current political climate, if we were able to track this to uh, a Middle Eastern faction, uh, whether we would actually come out with that. I mean, what's your feeling about that? Would we would we come public with that? Or do you think that there would be uh, enormous pressure to just uh, ascribe this to a, a lone wolf, if you will? It's hard to say, Rebecca. I could mm-hmm. argue either side of that question. You know, there's and and as again as an old reporter, I saw this particular phenomenon when I was a reporter. Some people would come at us and say, "Aviation Week, you're doing America a disservice by revealing what the bad guys are going to do or revealing what's going on in the black world." You know, highly classified stuff. Mm-hmm. And yet, there were the other side that said, and this was a two-star general told me flat out one time. When I said, are you sure we're on the record, General? Do you want this information out there? And he smiled at me and said, sometimes I want the bad guys to know how good we are. Ah. (laughs) It's a form form of deterrence. So it's hard to say what might be behind any silence, if you will. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there's another very disturbing prospect. And, you know, you go back to your book, Watchman's Rattle, and you made the Excellent point, I thought, that when society gets too complex, problems become too hard to solve. And there's a real human tendency to ignore them or kick them downstream. Go for the ostrich option, That's bury right. their head in the sand. That's right. We I, tend to, we tend to rely on short-term mitigations. Unfortunately, we have to take another scheduled break, but we're going to come right back with William Scott. You're listening to the Costa Report. love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. 
I will never forget the day my son Jeremy told me he hated me and slammed the door in my face. I'm behavioral therapist Janet Lehman. Behavior problems can turn the child you love and your life into a nightmare. That's why my husband James and I created the Total Transformation, the step-by-step -step program that shows you how to fix the worst behavior problems and get your child to respect and listen to you again. No matter what the behavior, defiance, backtalk, angry outbursts, disrespect, we can help you stop it. Now you can get the Total Transformation for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. You can keep it forever for free. Limited number of free programs available. Call now. 1-800-642-8896. 1-800-642-8896. That's 1-800-642-8896. 1-800-642-8896. Okay, it's holiday time. Aren't you excited about getting your gift list together and commencing all that wonderful holiday shopping? Yeah, right. But seriously now, listen to me. I have the perfect suggestion for you to mitigate your holiday stress and pressure. Get a beautifully personally inscribed hardbound K's commentary book for all on your gift list. What a concept. Nearly everyone would just love to receive such a gift. The only people who would not be thrilled to receive what is sure to become a treasured collector's item are the politically correct, illogical activists, sneaky weasels, slimy politicians and others whom Kay exposes in her inimitable, very direct manner. But you can have some fun by giving Kay's book to those people anyway. Now listen up, here's the deal. One book is $15, but if you're willing to buy a case of 28 books for $300, you can get the price per book down to $10.80. Actually, a little less than that. Kay is normally here at the station Saturdays during Saturday special time, 10 a.m. to 12 noon Saturday morning, to sign books and greet listeners, but can be available available by appointment at other times. What a great way to support your favorite radio station, give unique gifts to your favorite people, and solve most, if not all, of your holiday shopping hassles. Kay's holiday book promo is available now at KSEO Studios and maybe at Costco or some other locations very soon. Ask your favorite retailer. Hi, Jacoby here, host of Raising the Standards, right here on KFCO, Saturdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Tune in and join me, Rachel, my co-host, our buddy Rick, and some of the most interesting folks in the world as we chat and play the best music on the planet. And remember, if at some point during the program you're not offended, well, you're just not listening. Raising the Standards, Saturdays, here on KSEO, 3 to 5. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is William Scott. And before we went to break, you were making the point that uh, when problems become too complex, we have a long history of kicking them down the road and thinking that we have more time than we do. So rather than preempt these threats, uh, we tend to wait until they're upon us. Uh, now, as I understand it, uh, this is not the first time uh, economic warfare has been waged through forest fires. Uh, during World War II, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Japanese also had similar plans. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And they did launch a number of uh, uh, balloons that literally had incendiary bombs on them. They launched them from off the coast. They drifted over the U.S. and, you know, started a few fires along the west coast and up the northwest. They really didn't do that much damage. There was no way to control where they were going. But that was what the Department of Homeland Security says was the last definitive hard evidence of pyroterrorism. Mm -hmm. Now, what we don't know is what may be behind the green door of classification right now, that there may be some that have definitively uh, been identified as terrorists started here in the States over, who knows, the last few years. But the bottom line is, as an old general told me once, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, there's a good chance it's a duck. So we should pay attention to this strong possibility and then, you know, prepare for it. So I have to ask this question, and I did, what can we do about it? And talk to a lot of smart people, including a former director of aviation for United States Forest Service, Tony Kern, Dr. Tony Kern. And, and one of the things he said was, we literally have to stop considering um, 
that this wildfire situation as a land management issue and start considering it and addressing it as a national security issue. And that's literally, Rebecca, how I got involved in this whole arena back in 2002 when the large Hayman fire was burning here in Colorado. Something like 137,000 acres were burned. And at the time, it was not considered by me or my bosses as as a story worthy of an international aerospace magazine until until I realized that fire was burning right towards the Lockheed Martin rocket facility on the southwest corner of Denver. And in, it, it, if the fire had swept through that area at the time, it could have eliminated, destroyed, literally half of the United States' uh, national security space lift capability, the Atlas rockets. So all of a sudden it became a national security issue. Mm-hmm. But, but just that subtle change of thought process, taking a little different attitude, what can that bring? Well, well now I don't think that's a subtle change. I think that's a major cultural change. It's a, it, right. it certainly shifted my view of land management because when I read some of your writings and suddenly you were suggesting that uh, our parks, uh, our grasslands, the the areas that environmentalists are fighting very hard to preserve um, for posterity uh, are targets. Um, it, it changed everything for me. I, I have to say, suddenly I was thinking, this isn't land management. This is national security. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so let's talk about some of the solutions that you've recommended, because I, I was right on board with you. I mean, you've recommended that we really need uh, a fleet of some type of, um, uh, you know, some kind of uh, a, a large fleet of firefighting aircraft that can um, th- that might be, I don't know, run by Homeland Security that would uh, put out these super fires as they uh, as they occur. Is that right? Yes. Back in before 2002, uh, U.S. Forest Service had access to privately operated large aircraft or large air tankers. And, of course, there's a lot of other airplanes that go along with them, helicopters, lead planes, um, etc. But if you just focus on the large tankers, those that drop the red fire retardant, at that time we had 44 of them. And in 2002, a C-130 firefighting tanker fighting a, uh, a big blaze in Northern California, the Walker Fire, as it pulled off the target after it dropped, both wings came off and the airplane crashed, killing three guys. <laughs> a few weeks later, fighting a fire here in Colorado, a PB-4Y, an old World War II era airplane converted to a tanker, lost a wing. Two more fatalities. Mm-hmm. And within a week, a helicopter went down fighting the same fire out here in Colorado, killed another guys. So within a matter of about three weeks, we had six fatalities, two of them related to wing loss. Uh, Without all the intervening stuff, a blue ribbon panel was formed. I was asked to be on that panel. And at the, when we identified eight different areas that you could call systemic reasons behind uh, these drastic accidents, at the end of that season, the Forest Service said we will no longer uh, contract for C-130s and PB-4Ys. So we went from 44 airplanes to this season, depending on how you count them, we had nine or 12 large air tankers nationwide. So we had one of the worst fire seasons ever, and we went from 44 to nine to 12 planes right. to fight these fires. That's right. So, so do you think we could cooperate with terrorists anymore? I mean, what are we doing here? Well... The first thing we have to realize is it's a national security issue. Number two is the U.S. Forest Service is not equipped as a land management agency to take on this role. And they've had 11 years now, right, to try to rebuild this fleet, and it hasn't happened. They've studied the problem to death. The bottom line is the states are now saying we can't depend on the feds anymore. So here in Colorado, uh, action was taken this year. Senator Steve King saw the same Fire Wars video presentation uh, that I made in Washington, the same one you saw and and your uh, producers saw that led us to today. And he tracked me down, brought in Tony Kern, 
Dr. Kern, who used to run Forest Service Aviation. We started working with Senator King, and we actually got something passed, legislation passed earlier this year called the Colorado Firefighting Air Corps. Um, ironically, one week after the governor signed that law, I had to evacuate. My wife and I evacuated for two days because the Black Forest fire threatened our home. Mm-hmm. So it, it takes a while, but that's the attack. Do you, is it your opinion that this is going to fall upon the states to develop their own protection? I do. California mm-hmm. went that way a long time ago. Mm-hmm. California, through Cal Fire, has its own fleet of firefighting airplanes. And they, and, and they do true initial attack, which means hit the fire hard and hit it fast. Cal Fire's criteria is you are on a fire with airplanes within 20 minutes of notification. That's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in Colorado, it was hours before we had aircraft on either the Waldo Canyon or the Black Forest fire. And it, it could have been even longer if we'd had to rely on the Forest Service to bring them. Fortunately, we had military helicopters uh, and airplanes on the fire before some of the Forest Service contract airplanes could get here. So the bottom line is, we feel that here in Colorado, we are already engaged in fire combat. So we're taking the lead and, you know, to, to uh, protect our own people and property, we may have to develop our own fleet. Well, I don't know if every state developing their own fleet is uh, really the most efficient model, but uh, the way the federal government has been operating for the last several decades, I, I'm, I'm not sure that you're not right, and that isn't the way to go. Uh, we, are, we have been talking to this point about fast response when these fires occur, but uh, one of the other recommendations uh, that you've made is that we need to patrol these areas as well, and, uh, and, you, and I want to make a point uh, before we go to this next commercial break that you have been talking about uh, fire combat air patrols, uh, which might be planes, might be drones that would keep an eye out for uh, suspicious behavior so that we might be able to nip it in the bud before we have to uh, react with fleets of planes and and take uh, other uh, dangerous measures to put these fires out. Uh, We're going to take our last break, but uh, stay right where you are. We'll be right back with William Scott. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you listen to the news today, you might come away with the impression that our biggest challenges are political and economic. But if this were true, then countries which have different political and economic systems would be facing different problems. But they aren't. Every government and every nation is struggling with job creation, debt, immigration, climate change, terrorism, health care, energy, and wild swings in financial markets. So something else must be going on. That's why I'm inviting you to get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, a book which shows how the Roman, Mayan, and Khmer empires once faced similar challenges and what we can do to avoid their fate. Visit RebeccaCosta.com today and get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, because once you do, you'll never look at the world the same way. Fifty years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. But something you may not know is that Dr. King was represented by the world's foremost speaking agency, the American Program Bureau. The American Program Bureau has a courageous history of representing luminaries, entertainers, and motivators from all backgrounds. From Ronald Reagan, Richard Branson, and Mikhail Gorbachev, to John Stewart, Michael Douglas, and Desmond Tutu. From A-list celebrities to best-selling authors, cutting-edge business leaders, and the greatest minds in academia, the American Program Bureau has speakers to fit every venue and every budget. When corporations, conferences, schools, and community organizations need an expert speaker, they turn 
turn to the American Program Bureau to help them craft an event that will be remembered long afterwards. To inquire about a speaker for your next engagement, contact the American Program Bureau at 800-225-4575 or visit our website at apbspeakers.com. The American Program Bureau, making history one speech at a time. If your family car runs out of gas or oil or water, its engine will fail. If your body runs out of essential mineral or vitamin or amino acid nutrients, it will grow weak and you will be left with aches, pains, and diseases. Some say you can get all 90 of the essential nutrients you need from foods you eat. Maybe, but if you eat foods from farmed out soils or foods that have had the life processed out of them, you will deprive your body of some essential nutrients. You can can get all 90 of the essential nutrients your body needs for less than a daily latte with a 90 for life healthy start pack. It's easy, it's delicious, and they are essential. Ace is the place to pick up Dr. Joel Wallach's 90 for Life Healthy Start Pack. Swing by Ace Hardware in Freedom, Gilroy, Marina, Salinas, and Watsonville and ask for the 90 for Life. You'll get all the nutrients your body needs to grow strong and stay healthy for less than a daily latte. Remember, Ace is your place for the 90 for Life. Have a tea. We're going to do 25 now. 50 now. 75. We're going to 300. 325. 353. 75. We're going 400. 425. 450. Imagine finding an old painting, or chair, or fishing lure, while rummaging through the attic. Is it junk, or is it hidden treasure? Hello, I'm Rob Slowinski of Slowinski Auctions and Appraisers in Scotts Valley. Before you throw that item out, you better make certain it's not hidden treasure, and the way to do that is to join me at 2 p.m. Saturday afternoon here at KSEO for Hidden Treasures Radio Show. Put that item on the table in front of you and call the show. We'll figure out what that item is, where it came from, what it's worth, give or take. So don't throw that item out. Instead, join me, Rob Slowinski of Slowinski Auction Company, Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. for Hidden Treasures Radio Show. Is it junk or is it hidden treasure? Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is William Scott. Now, let me ask you if we're going to be hearing about drones soon uh, being used to, let's say, patrol national parks and and, uh, wildlife areas, in particular um, areas such as the one you spoke about where a fire threatened a critical Lockheed installation. It's possible, Rebecca, but it's it's hard to do, mainly because um, the FAA is still developing its policies for mixing up drones with manned aircraft, and it's it's not a simple issue. Um, some of the firefighters have used small drones to help map fires, uh, but they typically do it at night when, you know, almost all the other manned aircraft are, are out of the area. Mm-hmm. So right now it's an either-or situation. Mixing the two of them up to the, is a bigger issue. I personally think we will see drones uh, operating that you know, that's going to be downstream a ways, I think. So if how do we get a jump on this outside of preparing to respond quickly? How do we keep it from happening in the first place? I think detection is the key. Mm-hmm. And and we can use some of our existing assets. Again, it takes a change in, in thinking. And if, if we go to the more military systems approach, we could, here in Colorado, for instance, if we could set up a system where our National Guard, F-16 guys, sit right there in Denver at Buckley Air Force Base. They're armed with sniper and lightning two pods. Now, these are see-in-the-dark systems, mm-hmm. targeting systems, but they can spot hot spots, and I've flown on these, and they, they work very nicely in the daytime or at night. So when we have an extremely high fire danger period, you know, theoretically, we could fly these airplanes up and down the front range of the Rockies and, uh, you know, look for fires. If they see them, it's a matter of, of uh, moving the curve over, marking it, and you instantly have coordinates. Mm-hmm. You can direct firefighters to them immediately. And if you happen to see that little white pickup leaving right then, you can direct law enforcement officials in on them too. And, of course, we can very quickly develop drones and light aircraft, etc., to do the same thing. My point is use the assets we have now to take care of the detection part of the equation early on, because if you can detect quickly, 
Fire is like cancer. Early detection equals rapid mitigation, and it doesn't get away from you. So rather than ravaging a body like cancer, fire doesn't ravage you know, thousands of acres if you catch them early on. And there's an added benefit. And as an evolutionary biologist, I'll say that the behavior becomes extinct. If enough terrorists do this and they are and their efforts are quashed too quickly, then they stop doing it. That's an excellent point, Rebecca. It surely is. And back to one of your other points, you know, the long term extended effects, you know, long after the fire is out. Uh, there's a lot of, of other things to worry about. Here in Colorado, we're the headwaters for an awful lot of uh, river and water that goes downstream to states like California. Mm-hmm. These fires are so hot, 2,500 degrees is not uncommon in these last two big ones here around Colorado Springs. They literally seal the ground. Water just sheets off. So we've had problems with flooding this year. And, and all that stuff whether they're bad chemicals from burned houses and and, uh, sofas, et cetera, as well as the black junk from just trees, debris, et cetera. It all washes downhill. Uh, We've spent millions of dollars cleaning up one of the major reservoirs around Denver that was choked with all of this debris that flowed off the land burned by the Hayman fire back in 2002. Uh, so it, the, the ramifications go on and on. And as a social biologist, you know, you, you'll come up with other other impacts from major fires like the big rim fire there near Yosemite this year. It was it was threatening the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir. And California yeah, the, the ramifications after a crisis like that, they they just go on and on and on there. Uh, the, the example I always use is the subprime mortgage crisis. You know, mm-hmm. you start out with a bad lending policy and then 10 years later, it's just going on and on and on. There's no end to it. it even, you know, you were even discovering that animal shelters were affected and they were euthanizing more household pets than ever before. Who would have thought that would have been one of the repercussions? The same thing for these kinds of of terrorist acts, uh, when we try to quantify them, we're never right uh, because we're just looking at the immediate effect and we don't, we have a tendency not to look at the ramifications that are one, five, 10, 25 years down the road. Uh, and uh, and that's that's part of, I think, our, our narrowing in our, in our thinking and, and, and it prevents us from acting prophylactically and preemptively, which uh, which we, we've proven time and time again, we, we don't do well. Now, uh, we only have a couple more minutes, and I want to switch gears here for just a moment. You released a book at the beginning of the year, a fantastic read, The Permit. And and this was based somewhat on your son's murder and also a group uh, that you describe as Indigo. Can you talk for just a, a minute or two about that? You bet. It, it is a fiction book, but it's based on the actual events of my son, Eric, being shot to death in 2010. And it, it's a long story. Don't have time. The bottom line was my son, who was a West Point graduate, decorated ex-Army officer, had an MBA from Duke, very successful businessman. He was shot and killed because he had a BlackBerry phone in his hand, and somebody panicked and thought it was a gun. And so I, I used that tragedy to point out some very, very dangerous situations facing us again from terrorists in this United States. Um, so the, the storyline is when this federal covert operations agent uh, is gunned down, they incur, by indigos, as you said, uh, these domestic terrorists, they incur the wrath of a checkmate, and that's just a highly classified, off-the-book team of assassins that uses high-tech weapons to kill sleeper cell terrorists. And uh, the, the, the book is high-tech. The, uh, the checkmate guys use some, some very novel weapons to instill fear, doubt, and division among the, uh, the targets, the indigos, and they take them out one by one. So it, there's, there's plenty of twists and turns in the book, but the bottom line is we really do have these terrorists out there now. Indigos may go by a different name, 
And if I described them to you, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> well, well, I'd like to sleep tonight, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off there, and I'm not gonna let you uh, describe any more because uh, you know I won't need any coffee to stay up tonight. That's for darn sure. Well, that is all the time we have today. But before we let you go, let me ask you to give you your website so that people can get more information about the book and also about pyroterrorism. You bet. Uh, it's just WilliamBScott.com. And from there, you can go to any number of, uh, of the books that I've written or co-written. And uh, the website does not have the Fire Wars video, but you can look on YouTube and just search for Fire Wars and my name, and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find the primary video that describes what we've been talking about on this hour. And thank you so much mm-hmm. for, uh, for this discussion, Rebecca. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. And uh, we wish you great luck in this book. Uh, and I hope everyone will go to your website, will look at the Fire Wars video, and also will take a moment to read the book. The book's title is The Permit. And uh, I promise you, this is a book you will not be able to put down. Uh, That is our program for today. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about today's program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or send me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, Let me know what you thought about our conversation with William Scott today. And if you missed the full interview with Scott or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. And if you know a veteran or uh, a caregiver of a veteran, particularly this week, uh, and and you didn't have a pencil handy during this interview, uh, I'm asking you to get in touch with me because uh, I have gotten a lot of emails about my interview with Elizabeth Dole last week, and a lot of people were asking for contact information with Ms. Dole's foundation, with veterans uh, agencies, and uh, we're sort of becoming a a bit of a clearinghouse in that regard. So uh, I would ask you, if you are a veteran, you know a veteran, you know a caregiver, a caregiver of a veteran, I hope you'll take a moment to contact me through my website so that we can be of service to you. If your station is leaving us after this hour, my guest next week is Oscar-winning director of Silence of the Lambs, Mr. Jonathan Demme. Uh, Demme has been charged with directing AMC's new sci-fi drama, Line of Sight, and we're going to find out why he found this project so compelling. He's also going to tell us a little bit about what it was like going on the road with Neil Young to film this documentary. So don't miss Jonathan Demme next week right here on your favorite news program. Now stay tuned tune for another hour of Straight Talk Radio following these important messages. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 